Welcome to the Meet Medic Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Suresh Kawadka. I'm a GP and certified lifestyle physician, and I'm a practicing carnivore. I've had huge success with myself and with patients by following a carnivore diet. I want to spread the word about the many benefits of eating meat. In the last episode, I discussed how and why I got started on the carnivore diet, but I didn't go into that much detail about the actual physical how, as in what I actually eat. So I thought it would be a good idea to do an episode discussing this. It's a question I get asked myself quite a lot by my patients, and I see it come up a lot on the various internet groups and forums that I'm part of. Some find it quite difficult to start carnivore, but for me, I guess it was pretty easy actually. I'd always eaten quite a lot of meat, so it wasn't too difficult for me. And when I went to the Low Carb Down Under 2022 here in Australia and listened to the talk by the by Dr. Anthony Chafee, the plant-free MD, and after completely blowing my mind, I researched a little more and really just decided to take the plunge. To say I was a little nervous was probably an understatement. Just because I decided to do it didn't mean I wasn't scared or worried. After all, this was going against 38 years of indoctrination that plants, vegetables, fruits were good for me. And on top of this, of course, my medical training and education beyond medical school, which was constantly pushing the benefits of plants, demonizing meat and fat, and generally telling us to just eat garbage and it'll make you happy and healthy. In fact, I just listened to a podcast from Dr. Sean Baker, the namer of the carnivore diet, and he was talking with Claire, a healed anorexic turned carnivore coach. And they were discussing the nutrition that she was basically force fed via NG tube, you know, in hospital. This, this garbage full of carbs, seed oils, and horrible fake protein, as if that'll make you healthy somehow, rather than eating actual proper whole food. Anyway, I'd had 38 years of indoctrination and all my medical training fighting with me to keep eating plants. But thankfully, I can be pretty stubborn and committed when I want to. And so I just went for it. Pretty much cold turkey. One day I ate plants, the next, I didn't. All plants were gone. No fruit, no honey, no sugar, no herbs, no spices, no tea, no coffee, no bread, no sugar, nothing. I went from drinking four to six cups of coffee a day to zero. I'd gone off coffee before and knew it wouldn't be pleasant, but I was determined. I was a huge fan of herbs and spices. I mean, I put cayenne and black pepper on pretty much everything, mixed herbs, garlic on everything. And I was used to bulking my meals up with vegetables because, well, they were cheaper and because I was always so hungry. So this was a pretty big change for me, actually. I actually started out by doing what they call BBBE, beef, butter, bacon, eggs, salt and water. That was it. It's pretty basic. I ate ground beef, steak, roast and chuck. Quite a bit of chuck, actually. Chuck is a great steak, a great, a great cut, because here in Australia, it's actually one of the cheapest cuts and it's actually quite fatty. Now, we want the fat, as we know, with carnivore. It's around the same macro kind of profile as ribeye, so around 50-50 on grams and around 25-75% on calorie macros. It's a pretty tasty cut, but you do need to cook it differently to a normal steak. Unless you get it sliced very thinly into what they call minute steaks, you really can't just slap it on the pan or, or the barbecue, a quick sear, and then eat it. It'll be tough and chewy and probably not very tasty. It really benefits from being braised or slow cooked. I typically cook mine over an hour or two on a relatively low heat, 
maybe with a quick sear at the end. This is what we call reverse searing. Or just maybe in the slow cooker. I used to use a lot of pressure cooking actually, but I don't know why, I just find the slow cooker just produces a nicer meat texture and flavour as well. I actually find the same with brisket, which I love as well. Sure, the pressure cooker is great in a pinch, and if you can, it's fine, use it. But if, if you can, I'd really rather re I'd really recommend slow cooking if possible. Sometimes I'll even just slow cook it for a couple of days. Probably a bit excessive, but it tastes amazing. Try for yourself and, and see if you can notice a difference between slow cooking and pressure cooking. Anyway, when I started out on Carnivore, I basically just jumped straight into it. A little bit of research, but just jumped straight into it really. And I started eating bacon and eggs for breakfast, beef for lunch and beef for dinner. Cooked in butter, usually. And pretty much just water to drink. I wasn't particularly concerned around my electrolytes as I knew that salting the meat would most likely be sufficient from some previous research and experience with doing fasting and prolonged fasting. And how my body reacted to that, I knew I'd probably be okay. But I know many out there do use electrolyte drinks like LMNT and drinks like that. I'm not sure how required they really are. I guess everybody's body is slightly different. Probably not really the underlying physiology, we're, we're all human species. More so because they're coming from their own different backgrounds of health and will have different issues that could affect them in different ways and how their body handles things. So I think there is some credence to the idea that everybody is a little bit different. Anyway, so I was eating bacon, beef, butter, eggs, and I started posting pictures of what I was eating on my Instagram and Facebook page. And of course, as expected, I got some flack from my vegan patients. But I figured, you know, whatever I posted, they would object to, so whatever. Interestingly, it was mostly the bacon that they objected to, though. Citing sources like the World Health Organization, saying it would be it would give me bowel cancer and I was irresponsible for posting such pictures and encouraging people to eat bacon. Now, I'll cover this later in more depth in another episode, but it's a little complex, but to simplify it, bacon is actually very, very low risk. The main concerns around bacon are around nitrates, and the World Health Organization, WHO, and vegans love to tell us it'll cause cancer, and it's worse than smoking. In fact, I've seen it bandied around that, you know, one slice of bacon is worse than five cigarettes. Really? One piece of bacon's worse than five cigarettes? Okay. Not only is this factually incorrect, it is pretty much a complete distortion of, of the truth. The World Health Organization classified processed meat as a class one carcinogen in the same category as smoking, but they are totally different. A 2015 Harvard University Review article showed that smoking is over 20 times more harmful than processed meats. Hardly the same. The dangers of processed meat really are nitrates and what we call ages, advanced glycosylation end products. I'll discuss these in more detail in future episodes again, but they really aren't that much of a concern actually. Ages can be significantly reduced by the type of cooking that you do, and cooking on a lower heat will reduce them significantly. And nitrates actually aren't even carcinogenic. It's nitrosamines that are the concern. And again, these can be significantly reduced again by cooking on a lower heat. If indeed nitrates are actually carcinogenic, 
then you bloody well better stop eating those salads and veggies. That's right, spinach, bok choy, carrots, even that little lettuce has got far more nitrates in than a slice of bacon. But the vegans won't tell you that. Approximately 100 grams of bacon has around about, off memory, about 480 micrograms of nitrates. 100 grams of lettuce, possibly the most inert thing in nature, has about 280 milligrams of nitrates, naturally occurring nitrates. So you might think that's half as much, but we're talking milligrams now, not micrograms. And a milligram is a thousand times a microgram. So 280 milligrams is significantly more than 480 micrograms. Anyway, I got a little sidetracked there. As I said, I'll cover it in another episode. So I was eating bacon, beef, butter, eggs, and drinking water. I felt great. And within a couple of days, I mean, I just felt absolutely incredible. Like a veil had just been lifted off my entire life. I had boundless energy and felt truly amazing. So I just carried on. Over the last few months, I've refined my diet a little, working out what works for me and what doesn't. And I certainly don't eat the same thing every meal or every day. That could get a bit boring. Although I'm actually pretty fine with just eating the same thing every day. When I lost my weight initially, I pretty much just ate rice and salmon fillets three times a day for three months. So I'm pretty used to just eating a straightforward diet. Now this is a complaint I hear quite a lot of, but almost exclusively, exclusively for people who haven't actually tried the carnivore diet. They say that the diet is boring, but they haven't even actually really tried it. Most people that do carnivore say that the eating is anything but boring. They and I would argue, why is it boring if you're eating what you want to eat? The same for the diet being restrictive. You know, I can maybe see it getting boring, but restrictive? No, no way. It's not restrictive to eat what you want to eat. That's the definition of not restrictive. You're eating what you want to. But yeah, some people think this way of eating can become a little bit repetitive. And some do better than others with this. So if you think you're someone who needs some variety, then add variety. You don't need to eat chuck roast three times a day for the rest of your life. Vary it up a little bit. Add different cuts of beef in like roast topside or, or silverside. I absolutely love corn silverside, otherwise known as corned beef. It's called in salt and it's delicious. I love eating it freshly roasted or if it's cooled down, thin slices. I'm English, so I'm used to a lot of roasts, but if that's not your thing, then go for mince or steaks. Now, you don't need to be eating 120 day aged Wagyu ribeyes at you know, $150 a kilo. You can go for cheaper beef like ground beef. Usually around 10 to $20 a kilo here in Australia, depending on the quality, it's absolutely fine. The main complaint with ground beef really is that it's actually too lean. You know, in this age of fat is bad, it's hard to get ground beef that hasn't had most of the fat removed already. Now, I personally try to go for four-star mints from the butcher, which will usually be somewhere between 10 and 15% fat, I believe. 
I certainly don't go for the ultra lean five star versions because we want the fat. Having said that, the 20% fat versions from the supermarket or 18%, whatever it is, they, they kind of just taste bad to me. I don't know what it is about them. I don't think it's the fat. I, I just don't know the quality of the meat they use maybe. So I don't know. I just don't tend to buy them because I don't like the taste. But, you know, you can do what you like. If you're really nice to your butcher, they might actually grind up some chuck for you, which is should be about 50-50 in terms of calories. Or even just make up 50-50, you know, if you ask them nice enough. Uh, like, you know, Dr. Chafee likes the 50-50 uh, ground beef. Minsu is very versatile. You can just eat it straight. Make burger patties, sausages, meatballs, whatever. It's also pretty cheap and it's easy to cook, requires little to no preparation. If you want to push the boat out a bit, yeah, go for steaks. Now, I think most people would love to be eating ribeyes all day long. And I actually did a poll on one of my carnival groups and almost probably 90% of people said ribeye was their favourite steak. Not surprising. But for most people, and certainly me, that's just not feasible to eat it every day because of the cost. So what other steaks can you go for? Cost, flavour and texture vary a lot. So it's really hard to give a recommendation on what you should eat. But I'd favour cuts like Oyster Blade, otherwise known as Flat Iron, if you want a cheap steak. It's around 60% protein and 40% fat by calories, so it's reasonable. It tastes good, and if you cook it just a little bit slower, it will be quite tender. Sorry, it's 60% protein, 40% fat in grams, not calories. So it's not quite 50-50, but it's pretty close. It's also quite cheap compared to other cuts. Now, if you can spend a little bit more, going to something like rump will be a nice upgrade, but the fat is actually quite low in a rump steak. I used to think rump was actually quite high in fat, but it's actually quite low. So you might need to add additional fat sources like butter or beef tallow, for example. The next one I'd probably go for would be porterhouse, otherwise known as New York Strip. You can do sirloins, but again, like rumps, they're relatively low fat. Now, porterhouse is delicious. Delicious steak. One of my favourite steaks, actually. Full of flavour. Pretty easy to cook and a really good protein to fat ratio. But we're getting a little bit pricey now. You know, here in Australia, the supermarket grain fares looking around 40, 35 maybe dollars a, a, a kilo. Then, of course, we've got things like ribeyes and rib fillets. Now, I actually prefer the ribeye, uh, which is with the bone in, over rib or scotch fillets. Theoretically, it's the same. But I don't know why rib fillets just, just don't taste the same to me. And I actually just really much prefer ribeye on the bone. It's meant to be the same, but I just it just tastes different to me. It's actually slightly, slightly cheaper as well, like probably because it's got the bone in still. But I mean, that's just a bonus. Unfortunately, you can't really get any marrow from ribeye bones. That would be great, but never mind. Now, I'm not eating ribeyes every day. I can't afford that but it's a lovely treat every now and then. You've got things like T-bones, so on. If you need to save money, of course, Y-bones as well. You know, these, these are certainly good options, but Y-bones, again, like Chuck, you'll have to cook for a bit longer. In fact, I actually had a T-bone tonight. It's absolutely delicious. Now, hang on. Some of you might be thinking, hang on. Pretty much all he said is beef. What about other meat? 
Well, the reason we talk about beef so much is because it's one of, if not the most bioavailable meat source we have, and at least anecdotally, tends to make people feel the best. I know I certainly feel much better on beef than I do on other meats. Lamb is a relatively distant second for most people, and white meat, like pork and chicken, is really not ideal for the majority of our diet. There's nothing that's terribly inherently wrong with pork and chicken, but there are a few issues. So one, it contains little fat, which is why we're told to eat it, because it's a lean meat. But we need the fat. Fat is extremely important, and there's a very good reason why most say we should aim for around 70 to 80% fat from calories. Of the fat that it does have, it's also very high, relatively anyway, in omega-6 to omega-3 ratio, and it has more unsaturated fat. Now, many people tell you this is a good thing. You know, saturated fat can lower LDL cholesterol. But we're not actually really concerned with LDL cholesterol anyway, and I'll be covering cholesterol in future episodes, but cholesterol is also a lie. But omega-6 is known to be inflammatory. Even though it's essential, we don't want a lot of it. It outcompetes omega-3 and omega-9. We also don't necessarily want unsaturated fat. It's more unstable. Unsaturated fat means unstable. Stability of fat is very important because the more stable a fat is, the less prone to oxidation it is. And oxidation is very, very bad. It's why we're told, correctly, to eat lots of antioxidants. Oxidation is extremely dangerous in the body and is the main reason why seed oils are very, very harmful. Now, I'll do another episode on this alone, but briefly, the way that seed oils are manufactured usually makes them heavily oxidized and inflammatory to the body and is a big risk factor for cancer and heart disease. They also tend to be very high in omega-6, again, which is pro-inflammatory. Unsaturated fatty acids can also reduce your hormone levels like testosterone, and again, I'll cover this in another episode. So this is really mainly why we stick to red meat, and particularly fatty red meat, and usually from what we call ruminant animals. Here in Australia, you can actually get kangaroo meat quite easily, and it's actually cheaper than beef. I used to eat a fair bit of it, but I've gone off it actually lately. But it's lean, less than 2% fat typically, and that's why we're told to eat it. But, I mean, well, if you've ever seen a kangaroo picture, hell, they are seriously ripped. <laughs> but actually, we want the fat. We actually know that people generally do better on meat from ruminant animals. And kangaroos, despite the fact they actually regurgitate their food, technically, they're not actually ruminants. There's actually a process of digestion called mericism, which is similar, but different. So we don't really want the lean meat, and kangaroos aren't really ruminants anyway. So now we know what we should eat. What about what we shouldn't eat? Oh, well, we already kind of covered chicken and pork, but they're, they're okay once in a while. That's not a big deal. Now, if you ask anyone, pretty much almost anyone, they will say they feel better when eating more meat. Pretty much only diehard vegans will tell you the opposite. And whilst I often recommend my patients to eat more red meat, they almost instantaneously see benefits. But carnivore is much, much more than just eating more meat. It's a great start, don't get me wrong, but there's more to it than that. Carnivore diet works in pretty much four ways. No sugar, or as close to as humanly possible. 
There's a tiny bit of sugar in meat, muscle glycogen, but nothing to really speak of. Now this is a really big part of the carnivore diet. The second part is no additives. Very few chemicals, no additives, no preservatives, as much as you can possibly do. The third part is really just eating more protein and more fat, particularly more fat. Very, very important. People don't eat anywhere near enough fat. And the fourth one is no plant toxins. Now this one is a real kicker. I can't overstate the importance of stopping plant toxins. The difference that plants make is huge. I went from intermittent fasting and keto to carnivore. I went from pretty much the best of the best to carnivore. And the results were just simply unbelievable. That last maybe 5% made well over 95%, I think, of the difference to me. I don't know others like Dr. Sean Baker, Dr. Anthony Chafee will agree with this. In fact, he mentioned it on one of his podcasts this morning. It's hard to explain and hard to convince people sometimes, but that last kind of 5% taking out those plants really does make all the difference. Almost everyone who does carnivore that I see that isn't getting the results they want, I can pretty much guarantee they're still eating some plants. It may be something small, barely noticeable, but it could still be causing a problem for them. Something like a simple herb or spice could actually really be derailing you. Now, some would put coffee in this category as well, and I'll do another episode on coffee. But like I said, personally, I'm not actually drinking coffee. Now, these plant toxins are very, very real and very powerful. I know Dr. Chafee has spoken about his experience with roast lamb before with some herbs on it. And I've had similar instances, similar issues, as have some of my patients. So my experience was around a month into starting carnivore, I felt truly, truly amazing. And then I had a steakette. Now, for anyone that doesn't know, it's basically a thin, square-shaped burger patty. I bought them from a good butcher. They weren't some prepackaged crap, but they had some herbs, and I assume probably some breadcrumbs to bind it. Didn't really think of this when I bought them. I figured it wouldn't be a big deal, and I was actually kind of interested and excited to try them to see what effect they actually had on me. Oh, man. I really wish I hadn't. I felt awful. I went from feeling 100% out of this world to feeling like I, I just wanted to be dead. I didn't feel suicidal, but I really felt like I just didn't want to exist anymore. It's hard to explain. I just lost all my motivation. I went from working out almost twice a day to wanting to throw out my weights within the space of about five minutes. Everything ached, everything hurt, and I just couldn't stay awake. It was like I was on like really bad drugs or something. It lasted around four hours, and when it started to go, I could actually feel physically feel myself improving, like just melting away from me. Eventually, around six hours later, I felt pretty much back to normal and just wanted to work out again, feeling mentally clear feeling great. It really was one of the most bizarre experiences I've ever had, all from a few small herbs and breadcrumbs. Well, you know, maybe it's just coincidence. Yeah, maybe. 
but I've repeated it a few times since with things like sausages, breadcrumbs and herbs, and had similar experiences. I had a bad experience after some chicken with some, I don't know, soy-based something sauce on it. I get, I just didn't really think about it at the time. I figured, oh, you know what, it's there, it's the only thing I've got to eat. Okay, fine, I was out with, with family. But, few, you know, pretty much, it was actually a day later, I felt awful. And I just wanted to just, just not live again. Again, though, thankfully, pretty short-lived, although this was a more delayed episode. You know, I've since done it with a few sausages and stuff again, like I said, and same results. I've pretty much stopped trying to reproduce it now because, I mean, it's very clear that, that this is not just coincidence. This is this is definitely something. You know, as we often say in science, you know, one one thing is coincidence. Two episodes, fair enough. Three makes a trend. Anyway, lots of other people report similar experiences, you know, all over the carnivore forums. And in fact, I had a patient today, actually, who said the same thing from some sausages that she had. Same experience as me. Now, I didn't tell her my experience before she told me. So it's not like I led her to it. That was just her experience. Now, anyway, you might think, oh, yeah, well, what's that got to do with anything? Plants don't really have toxins. Yeah, I get it. Can be hard to imagine. But I'd challenge you to actually then go out into the forest and eat some random plants. You don't want to? Why is that? Oh yeah, because you're going to get sick. Exactly. Plants do have toxins in. We know we can't just go into the forest and eat random plants. Just open any herbalism book and you'll see them. And plants can definitely affect your mental health and physical health. We advise people with IBS, for example, irritable bowel syndrome, to eat a low FODMAP diet. Why would we do that if plants can't affect your gut? would make no sense. You take cannabis and it'll affect your mental health. Now, better or worse, doesn't really matter. Jury's out on that, but we all know it will affect you. You eat water hemlock, you're probably going to have seizures and die. But plants can't hurt you. Yeah? Right, okay. How's that hemlock working out for you? Okay, I'm being a little bit sarcastic there, but I want to get the point across. Don't just trust that plants are inherently good for you. They have defences to protect themselves, and they are using them on you. You've probably developed some resistances, but they will still have an effect, just like any drug. So a really big part of carnivore is actually taking out these plants. Yet this is what I see people struggling with the most. I'm not sure I entirely understand why, I guess it probably it just shows the cognitive dissonance that we have developed over the years. Most people I speak to are desperate to eat more meat, particularly red meat. I guess because they either feel good on it or they just know it's healthy and they want to eat less vegetables because they know that they aren't needed or maybe that they're not even healthy. Yet, they struggle with the idea of eating no plants. What's more bizarre is that most patients I see have almost always tried exclusion diets of some description, usually including vegan diets, and completely taking out all meat. Yet they're unwilling to try carnivore. Why? Because they can't exclude things. That, that's, that's not what you do. But they've tried excluding things before, including an enormous section of the human diet, meat. 
yet they aren't willing to do the same with plants. When I really drill down on this, they usually tell me that they just cannot accept that plants might be unhealthy. After all, we all know they are, right? But well, we all knew the world was flat before we knew that it wasn't. Just because something is repeated often doesn't make it true. I guess the dogma runs deep. Eventually, after much persuasion, I can usually get them to at least try it, and every single one has come back raving. Then it's a case of tweaking and fine-tuning, but 99% of the work is already done, if they go full carnival. Now, this was illustrated in a study in 2022 by Harvard University, showing over 2,000 people, almost 2,100 people, with a near 100% satisfaction rate from carnivore diet. That kind of success is just unheard of. Now, yes, it was an observational study, so it's not the best science, but lots of so-called evidence is based on observational studies or epidemiological studies with fewer patients than this, fewer people, and nowhere near as much control. So yes, there can be some criticisms, but I challenge you to show me any study where very close to 100%, I think it was about 96% of people showed satisfaction with the diet and improvements in every single metric. I challenge you to show me a study like that for any other type of diet. Now, for those who struggle with carnivore and they aren't really seeing the success that they want, almost every single time it's because they're eating plants. So that's where we usually focus. Now, I really try to nail down their diet, but it really does depend on them being honest with me. And even things like coffee, tea, these are plants and can have adverse effects. Sure, you'll still see people still happily drinking tea and coffee, and that's great for them. If it works for you, fantastic. I don't know, but cool. You do you, and that's fine. But if you're still having issues, you need to take a hard look at what you're eating and take out anything that could cause you an issue. After all, this is why we're doing carnivore in the first place. To me, it doesn't make sense to do carnivore and then only do it a little bit. The whole point is carnivore really is an elimination diet. Take out everything that could cause you harm. And then maybe you reintroduce it back down the line if you want to. Now, most people actually don't want to because they just feel so good without it. But, you know, some do and that's fine. But you worked out what works for you. So anyway, how do you actually start the carnivore diet? What calories should you be eating? What macros should you aim for? Is there, a, is there a diet plan? Well, first off, no. There's no diet plan, unfortunately. This way of eating really is intuitive. And you actually kind of need to work it out for yourself. If you don't know what intuitive eating is, I actually cover this in my other podcast, Quest for Health, episode three. But basically, it's eating when you are hungry. Listening to your body and eating what your body needs. Sounds simple. It is, and it isn't. In the early stages, your body might be a bit confused. It's been fed so much garbage for so long that it probably doesn't know what proper food even is. So it can be a little bit tricky initially. 
You may be super hungry or just actually have no appetite at all. That's okay. Your body will adjust. The secret is eat to satiety and eat what your body is telling you to eat. Satiety means feeling satisfied with how much food you've eaten. Now that's very different to feeling full. We don't want to eat till we're bursting. The second part is eating what your body wants. This is actually the harder part, but you can make it easy. But how do you know what your body wants? Well, listen to it. Use your senses. You have these for a reason. Your sight, smell and taste tell you what you want to eat. How many times have you opened the fridge and just thought, nah, I, I don't want to eat that today. Just, ah, it just doesn't seem right today. You plan to make maybe chicken, but then you see the steak and, oh, yes, that steak looks great and go with it. It's your body telling you that chicken isn't what it wants. And there's something in the steak that it really does want. If it smells good and tastes good, it's almost certain that your body wants it. If it tastes heavenly, which sometimes things just do outside of sugar, because that's a drug. It's your body saying, oh God, yes, please eat more of this. I'm so nourished from it. Once it stops tasting good, your body is telling you that it's had enough nutrition from it. So either stop eating that or eat something else. Try it yourself. <clears throat> Get a steak. If it tastes absolutely divine at the start, but then halfway through stops tasting good, how could that possibly be? It's not steak. It's the same piece. It's been cooked the same way. It just means your body has had enough. So I'm afraid there's no diet plan. There's no set times to eat. You don't have to eat breakfast. You just eat when you're hungry. That's intuitive eating. Now, of course, you can eat breakfast. And whilst the human body doesn't work on eating at set times, society does. So it can be easier to eat at those times, but you do what works for you. You can do fasting with a carnivore diet, and I'm going to cover this in one of my other episodes, but you probably don't need to. Fasting gives many of the same benefits as carnivore. Most people will naturally fast anyway because they just feel less hungry and they're more in tune with their hunger signals. Anyway, Calories and macros are a common point of contention. You know, this idea of calories in versus calories out, or SECO for short. Calories are a pretty stupid measure to actually use with the human body. We don't actually use calories. We need micronutrients. And calories in, calories out has been professed for decades. It almost never actually works or gives any kind of results for weight loss or health, or at least not any sustainable weight loss. I mean, you eat nothing, you're, you're going to lose weight. You ask almost anyone with a brain that works in the weight loss field and gets consistent results, and they will tell you it's not the calories. It's really what your body does with those calories that matters. I mean, I've, I've lost more weight eating 4,000 calories a day than I ever did eating 500 a day. There's maybe a few small situations where the amount of calories actually do matter, 
but it's mostly pointless to actually count calories. It's also not even really the percentages of macros that actually matter. It's really the micronutrition. Your body will tell you if you need more fat, because for example, you'll feel sluggish or tired, or the easiest way, your poo's gonna get hard. And you're just gonna want to eat more fat naturally. You open the fridge, suddenly that butter's gonna be starting to look really good. Go with it, eat the butter. Eat it until it stops tasting good. When it stops tasting good, your body's telling you you've had enough fat. However, calories are a simple, basic measuring tool. And most people with any knowledge of carnivore diet say you need somewhere in the region of maybe 70 to 80% calories from fat. And this serves as a, as a rough guide for people. There's some out there that claim they eat the other way around and eat maybe 70 to 80% protein. Now, honestly, I call bullshit on this. and I can guarantee they aren't healthy if they're doing that. I certainly wouldn't do that. So if you're thinking of starting the carnivore diet, please just do. But if you're worried, find a carnivore-friendly doctor like me to guide you through it. I'd actually say just jump in cold turkey. You don't need to go slowly and just get off those plants. But if you really have to dip your toes in first, just start by reducing vegetables and increasing red meat. Just remember though, probably 95% of the benefit comes in that last 5% by eliminating all plants. Thank you for tuning in for this episode of the Meat Medic Podcast. Subscribe for more episodes, and if you want to support this podcast, please see the links in the description. Thank you for this. Li Thank you for listening to this episode of the Meat Medic Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help to spread the word that how, how we can improve mental and physical health through diet and nutrition. If you are interested in improving your own... Okay, let's just re-record that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Meat Medic Podcast. If you found this episode useful, please leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help out the channel to grow. If you have found this useful and you want to improve your physical and mental health further, please do check out my website, themeatmedic.com, where you can find all my eBooks are currently 50% off with the code 50 off. That's code 50 off, five zero off, O-double-F, for 50% off all eBooks. Take care. Thank you. See you in the next episode.